within a bleak and dismal swamp, hidden beneath its murky waters, lies the headquarters of the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Doom. Hello and welcome back to Camping with Owlbears. I am a lonely adventurer. Looking at my phone here, I see the last time I picked this thing up to record anything was December, no, not December, January 2nd. Um, yeah, the last three months uh, have been just kind of nuts and I haven't had uh, the extra mental space to think about podcasting much. It's March 4th today as I record this. Nope, March 14th. Wow, me and dates. This is the trouble with uh, quarantine and working from home and having a spouse who is a nurse and works crazy hospital shifts. Uh, Every day is Wednesday, basically, as far as I can tell. It is Sunday right now, Uh, but because my wife is at work, I decided to work also. And so, yeah, this is, I think, my third weekend in a row, just working right through the week. So, yeah, my sense of time and space is all over the map right now. Um, I guess things have been okay. Uh, my class uh, at VCU uh, about an introduction to uh, design for tabletop role-playing games is going really well, really, really well. Um, the kids have been really into it. We are spent the first couple of weeks uh, essentially doing uh, a modified version of the Gygax 75 challenge, um, and they've created, you know, they had to do a concept and describe the local area and create their first wandering monster charts and... Um, the town with its NPCs, uh, and I slid in a little five-room dungeon into that to add an extra week of work to do, uh, and they've done their three-level dungeon, and just, yeah, just I think all the writing is more or less done. I, well, done is uh, perhaps too strong a word. Uh, there is a rough outline with a lot of the blanks filled in, but it's all pretty rough at this point, and so after spending those first few weeks doing that, we are now into the actual um, meat and potatoes of our class and it's an art class of uh, designing stuff as they were writing i had them <clears throat> roll up some randomly generated characters from uh, my my own house rules my glaive rules uh, although we were using my new version of glaive which is a uh, go- a glog hack uh, goblin's law of gaming and uh, i've been introducing them to a lot of concepts from the osr and old school gaming. Uh, although surprisingly, quite a few of the kids are, they're not all, um, you know, 5e diehards. They just, most of them just don't know it. I haven't been exposed to anything else, but quite a few of them have. Uh, I'd say about of the 20 kids I've got, which is a huge number for uh, this kind of a class, a studio class like this is usually 12 to 16 maximum. And I've got two alumni who graduated recently uh, who heard I was teaching this and asked to uh, audit uh, well, one case asked to audit the class, and the other case I invited them to audit the class. I thought they'd enjoy it. Um, so it's a big group. And uh, so they've rolled up a, a pair so far of disposable old-school characters, only to then spend three weeks uh, basically doing a concept art project of designing them and getting very attached to them, which I, I realize is uh, perhaps counterproductive. But, uh, yeah, it's been really interesting. I've been trying very hard uh, to kind of change my focus on how I look at uh, the gaming that the kind of gaming that they're doing and the kind of gaming that I've done in the past also. Um, I'm not interested. I'm, I'm really not trying to get anyone to change the types of games they play, but I have just over the last two or three years since kind of discovering the OSR and getting into old school games, 
learn so much more about being a game master from just the rules and procedures in something like BX. There's there's more game master, useful game master information in there than there are in the modern books. Um, and so my goal is to kind of expose them to different procedures and concepts and say, hey, maybe some of these would be interesting in your home game. Um, but keep playing the game you're playing if that's the game you like. Uh, and it's been good. They've been very receptive. I've been learning new things from them. I've got a couple who are very sci-fi and cyberpunk oriented. So I've been learning all about the new uh, cyberpunk game. Um, I have one who, uh, she's a very dedicated, uh, game master, um, writes a lot of adventures and kind of wants to do that. Although I can't quite convince, I don't think she quite gets that. That's not, for most people, that's not going to be a career move. It's going to be a fun thing you do on the side. And if you're very lucky, you make a little money out of, but you know, she's young and, uh, still dreaming, dreaming the dream. So maybe, who knows, maybe she will be running Wizards of the Coast 15 years from now. Well, who am I to say? Um, but we had, she struggles a lot with, um, uh, getting characters involved in the, the narrative and, and the story and whatnot. Uh, cause you know, that's where all the emphasis is on, on a lot of modern games. It's, it's all about the stories we tell and it's always been about the stories we tell, but that's all people seem to talk about. If you look at the actual plays or the podcasts and, and various YouTube channels about, uh, role-playing in general and Dungeons and Dragons specifically today. Um, but they, they don't tend to spend any time teaching someone how to, uh, uh, run games like that. So I've been enjoying kind of talking with her and others who do, who do run games about things like that and pointing them at, uh, Jason. Ale- nope, <laughs> not Jason Alexander. Oh, I'm back on my old, my old business. Uh, Justin Alexander's, uh, the Alexandrian blog, but there's lots of great advice for that of, you know, prep situations, not plots, the three rules clue and, or the three clues rule. Sorry, I'm a little tongue tied. It's been a long time since I spoke alone in a room into the uh the butt of my phone while the dog looks at me like I'm crazy (sighs) so yeah class is going great um they are currently uh taking one of the rooms out of their five room dungeon and uh designing it as uh, a 3d isometric uh space and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about how to design interesting environments for players to play in um, we're kind of dabbling in video game design theory also, which of course is very related to uh, old school RPG design as well. Um, and yeah, and then there's just kind of the art side of things that the, how, how are their drawing skills? How are their, their rendering and lighting skills and, and things like that? Um, so yeah, having a lot of fun with that is an incredible amount of work. And then I also ended up having two students in the class who had never played a role playing game before. Um, they were familiar with the concept, of course. Um, that's why they took the class, but they were hoping to also learn a little bit about, get a little experience playing them. So I offered to run the two of them through a one-shot that I've run most of my in-person groups through in the past, and that I keep updating and modifying to to fit into my own world or uh, just run a little bit better. But um, But two was not enough, so I asked for volunteers from the class, and I got like nine or ten volunteers. So I, I ended up breaking them into... Uh, I've got three groups total and with anywhere between three to six people in the groups, depending on their times and when they were available outside of class. Uh, so in addition to teaching the class and doing my full-time job, I've been running a series of, uh, well, they're supposed to be one-shots, but uh, there are two to three session uh, scenarios. That's essentially running through one of my five-room dungeons, um, but it is not structured like uh, uh, 
like I say, it's not a single building. There's uh, encounters out in the world that essentially fill the uh, uh, requirements of the five room dungeon, uh, which they find very interesting when they kind of see that it's not just a cave, a bunch of caves in, a, in somewhere. It's a it's a role playing encounter on the road with someone. Is is a kind of a puzzle RP component of that that five room dungeon and. and uh, you know, anyway, I, I should do another podcast on that too because it's such a flexible little um, tool if you don't think of it literally as five rooms in a dungeon. Although it's perfectly fine for that too. And it's great for whipping up one to two nights of really fun gaming. <clears throat> Excuse me. So let's see, what else? Uh, pardon me while I check on dinner in the Instant Pot here while we chat. Um, so class is going great. Um, I have been designing and editing and designing and editing my second version of the Glaive rules, uh, which, as I said, is a glog hack. Oh, and that, those are the rules that my kids have played through this uh, scenario with also, which has been tons of fun. Uh, at first, they're terrified because they're like, oh, gosh, I've got no powers and I've only got 10 hit points. And although, you know, the real differences between a first level uh, old school character and a first level fifth or fourth edition character, well, fourth edition characters, never mind, but a fifth edition character is not a huge amount of difference, really. They're, they're both pretty, uh, pretty vulnerable. Um, the only difference is you're not going to get three, uh, three death saves in old school gaming. So, uh, so they've had a lot of fun with that and they've kind of got to go through my class templates and they're the first people to be play testing this version of Glaive, uh, which has been very exciting for me. And I'm waiting to spring these rules on my regular, the Albear Heist crew, but we're kind of wrapping up this campaign. We've been playing for ooh, a year and a half now, at least. And uh, then we're going to make new characters and start level one again with the, the Glog stuff. Oh, let me update you on them real quick uh, before we get into this new version of Glaive. So our game's been ticking along. We, a few months ago, fell into a pattern of... Uh, just playing every Thursday. We were having trouble finding days that we could all get together online to play. And for the longest time, we kept trying to play the same way we did in person, where you know, it'd be these four-hour marathons, and we were all exhausted and distracted, and we'd, none of us have the attention span to be on Zoom that long. So we just agreed to play it for little two and a half hour bursts and whatever we get done, we get done. And what we don't, you know, if we have to stop at a weird point, we don't worry about it, but we do it every week and it's been great. There's a, the, it's, uh, there's not a lot of stress involved with it, but it's a much, it feels like a much more kind of casual commitment, although it's not really, um, and a lot better player retention of what happened because a, not a lot could happen in the, in the limited amount of time we had. And it only happened a week before, um, and we have a nice uh, hard stop time because one of my players has another thing they have to go to uh, around uh, 8.30. So, yeah, so we all hop online around 5.30 while we're eating dinner and we, we kind of get the, the socializing out of the way uh, or out of our system so that we can get right down to playing from 6 to 8 or 6 to 8.30. And it's been going really great. They're still doing the Dead City of Iztac point crawl that I designed. Um, so that has been providing just a stupidly huge amount of uh, gameable material for me. So I'm really glad I invested the time in creating that. And yeah, they've kind of, they're, they're, they're still just plucking away at it. They're, they know they're looking for the MacGuffin. Um, and then that's going to take them, once they get, once they get the MacGuffin, uh, they will move on to the, the end game of this campaign and we'll see what happens. Uh, while they've been doing that, I've been doing kind of an over, a creative overhaul of my, my own setting that they are playing in right now 
um, as I've been using it as an example for my students as they kind of uh, kind of go through the uh, the Gygax 75 challenge. Uh, so, yeah, it's, I've been revisiting it and changing things I don't like and really refining it and getting more, really just falling more in love with it. So I'm, I'm, I'm not less interested in it. I'm more interested in, in drilling down into the details and finding out more about it. And I'm excited to uh, start our next game in this setting where the characters are actually native to it so that they will have more... Uh, uh, more just native knowledge of how things are and uh, what's going on. So that's been a long ramble. Let me pause this here for a second. All right. I've uh, had taken a seat. I've got myself a pint of Dale's Pale Ale here. Have a sip of that. Now let's talk about Glaive 2.0 or 2.1 or 2. I'm not sure what point I'm up to now. I've been doing so much editing on this. So... Um, I was pretty happy with the Nave-derived version of Glaive. Um, I did, after a year or so of playing... Oh, I should I should backtrack just a second uh, with my, my Owlbear group. We actually got together last Thursday and played in person uh, outside in the... Uh, we have a big alleyway behind our uh, uh, the studio. Uh, Richmond is a city of alleyways. Uh, as someone who's native to New York, that is just really weird to me. Um, all the alleyways in New York were long ago... Uh, filled in and, and uh, uh, they're just gone for the most part. Uh, so anytime you see a movie where there's someone getting mugged in an alleyway in New York, uh, they're filming in Toronto, just uh, so you know. <laughs> New York does not have alleyways. Um, and it hasn't for my entire lifetime. So that's almost half a century. Uh, anyway. Uh, Richmond, though, uh, being kind of a historic, uh, at least the area I live in, the, the, at the core of the city, uh, a lot of the structures are historic and cannot be demolished, uh, which is great. Uh, they're wonderful, but uh, yeah, there's always alleyways everywhere. Anyway, our studio, big alleyway out back, and we use that as an event space sometimes. And we took three giant picnic tables and pushed them together into a kind of a triangle shape. And uh, uh, each of the couples in the group uh, was able to kind of sit separate, separated enough. Um, although half of them at this point have gotten... Well, maybe not half of us, but a third of us have uh, gotten our shots. Uh, I'm getting my first shot next week. I'm very excited about that. My wife, uh, being a nurse, uh, got her COVID vaccination quite a while ago, and we've got a teacher and a couple of educators, and uh, yeah. So we're all getting there. We're Hopefully we'll all be vaccinated in the next couple of months. Uh, yeah. But let's not talk about COVID. Oof. <laughs> I don't have the mental energy for that. Um, I find at, the, at this point my wife and I have just taken to... Uh, uh, setting limited, more limited goals for ourselves and congratulating ourselves on the little things like, oh, I see you put pants on today. Good job. <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, anyway, so we got together and played in person last time, and it was a, almost a year to the day. Oh, there goes the train. Almost a year to the day since the last time we played in person. It was 363 days since our last in-person game. And it was really great to see them, but it was also really uncomfortable. I've gotten so accustomed to teaching and gaming through Zoom uh, that it was really unsettling to have everyone staring at me. <laughs> Which, you know, I'm the game master. Of course they're staring at me. Uh, they're waiting for me to tell them what's going on. But uh, it took me a while to get comfortable with that. I uh, kind of wanted to dig out my old... Uh, uh, game master screen and put it up in front of me so I could just hide behind it a little bit. Um, 
Anyway, uh, so Glaive, yeah, we've had a great time playing with it. Uh, some edits that I, I'm not 100% sure are in the current version of the PDF, although I'm, I'm pretty sure most of them are. I sent, I know at least Backer's got an updated version of the PDF a few months after the zine um, delivered on them. That changed most everything, but uh, because of some uh, unforeseen consequences of the way things were worded, um, our allowing casters to change their spells into just a straight-up arcane blast or healing blast that did level d6 damage um that was fine at level one and two but at level five six and seven where we are now uh that was just it's just nuts uh so anything that says does level damage or affects level whatever um well sleep still affects level hd worth of creature but uh yeah anything that is inflicting harm uh now does a half level rounded up so a six level character shooting a magic missile essentially is 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 going to do 3d6 worth of uh damage as is a seventh level uh, and then if they make it to eighth level it'll be 4d6 and then that seems to work out really well uh several talents also have that kind of thing where it says you know level whatever um, and then changing that to half level has worked out really well and the other thing i have not posed this on my group but i would recommend if you were going to play glaive to uh, cap the ability bonuses at plus five at least until they get to a certain point like uh you know or, or set, set set a range you know say uh, your 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 highest stat can be no more than four points above your lowest stat or five points i guess if you have a zero and a five yeah five points above your lowest stat um just so character just so players aren't uh piling up really great bonuses in one place and and not putting them in another although you know if you listen back to my owlbear um recaps uh, one of our fighters like that all of her points go into her strength her character strength and uh, um, so i have learned to test other parts of their character sheet instead of trying to uh, match them blow for blow but uh yeah and i think i think that's it i think that's the only big edit i did um there was something else but i can't remember anyway i haven't actually looked at the glaive the original glaive rules in in several months except for when we're playing uh because i have been writing a clog hack um so what motivated me to do this? Um, I bounced off the Glog several times. It just felt kind of goofy at, at times. The community's a bit uh, outlandish and strange, um, although I like outlandish and strange people, but it wasn't the kind of gaming I was looking for. I guess, you know, as I was new to the OSR, I wanted like a purer experience, something that was closer to the original to really get a feel for that. And I played BX for a little while, and then I got pretty bored with it. Um, after playing 5e and getting bored with that, and then I made Glaive, which for me was a happy middle ground between the two, and I, I'm not really bored with it, but I wanted to, um, I think the same feeling I had when I started playing 5th edition was that I want to have other people I can bounce thoughts and ideas about this game off of, and in order to do that, we need to both be, understand the game and how it works and whatnot, and so, um, that was what originally got me to go back again and try reading the Glog because there is a pretty, it's a small but active community of, of folks um, that design stuff and play Glog. And uh, so, yeah, I just wanted the same thing I had when I was uh, interacting online with folks who were playing 5th edition, just other people playing the same game I was. Uh, but along the way, I found I just really, really like it uh there's not a huge difference like design ethos is pretty similar it's uh power levels are the same it's just as simple 
there's only two really big, well, three really big differences. The first is not in the game. It's a simple legal one, and that is that it is a Creative Commons rule set. Uh, the original uh, creator, Arnold Kay, from goblinpunch.blogspot.com blog, um, said anyone can do anything they want with his home rules, which the house rules, which these are, except, you know, make a profit off of them, but feel free to use them and adapt them and change them however you however you like. So they are, what is it, CC, BY, NC, SA, 4.0. So the most, uh, uh, the most, the broadest and uh, most generous uh, Creative Commons rules. Um, so yeah, so I started playing around with it. So that's one of the differences. The other difference between my original pass at Glaive and this new version of the game uh, is that it actually does have character classes instead of uh, kind of a build your own um, class structure I have now with the talents. Although having saying that, um, it's really designed to allow you to dip into all different classes. Uh, there's no um, restrictions on multi-classing. So every class has four templates. And at first level, you take, and the templates are, are lettered A, B, C, and D. At first level, you take template A in whatever class you, are, you like, a wizard. Um, at level two, you can either take template B in wizard, or you can take template A from another class and, and multi-class as much as you like. So by the time you're fourth level, you can only have four templates maximum, and you might have four template A is from four completely different classes uh, with your with your character. And pretty much, all your, well, not pretty much, all of your class abilities, you will have unlocked them by the time you hit fourth level, which is basically the same as Glaive. Um, or not basically, it is exactly the same as Glaive. Uh, although Glaive does allow you to, to swap out different talents, uh, you will have reached your maximum number of them by the time you hit level four. You can only have five and you're starting with two, so there you go. Um, so the games cap out at about the same level. Uh, my group now is uh, level five, six, and seven. I think we're spread across, uh, or they're all six and seven. So we're uh, we're a couple of levels past where mechanically nothing new is happening for these characters, but they haven't they haven't peaked as as enjoyable characters. Uh, I'm a big fan of giving them cool uh, magic stuff, as as you guys know, uh, and so it's almost like they continue their level advancement through the gear they carry, which is a, a design ethos I've always found really interesting. It's a very video gamey. I know ICRPG does this, um, but the idea that, yeah, it's the gear um, as well as the player cunning that really makes these characters work that I really like. Um, and I assume uh, my Glogglave, which obviously needs a better name because that is uh, it's a little it's a little awkward, a little clunky. Glaive 2.0 is what it says on the cover of the document, so I don't accidentally uh, open the wrong one and start editing that. But uh, yeah, I still need to come up with a good name for it. But for now, it's just Glaive 2.0. Um, so those are the two big differences. And the third big difference is uh, the way that magic works. So let me flip to that point in the PDF here so that uh, I can reference anything I need to. It's not complicated, but it is different enough from traditional D&D magic that it takes a few seconds to really wrap your head around it. So anytime you take a class that is that uses magic, so let's just stick with the wizard. That's most of them. There's a lot of different kinds of wizards uh, in Glog. Um, 
And interestingly, the way the magic system works is the, the wizard really cancels out a lot of the kind of the weirder, like warlocks don't make any sense because you can just make a wizard who works like a warlock and sorcerers don't really make much sense because you could just make a wizard who works like a sorcerer in traditional D&D. And so people have ended up going writing characters in very different directions to still get sorcerer and, and warlock and, and whatnot. Um, but I get ahead of myself here. So um, well, let, let me, let me, I'll just read this right here, right off the, the PDF, if you don't mind. Uh, so this is adapted from uh, Skirple's uh, Condensed Magic Rules, which are based on Arnold Cave's system for Glog Wizards. Uh, now, Skirple's, I talk about him all the time also. His website, uh, his blog is great, coinsandscrolls.blogspot.com. And he wrote the version of Glog that really let me, helped me to wrap my brain around it, and it's called Many Rats on Sticks. And if anyone's curious about just getting a raw glimpse at the Glog, that's the one that I would look up. Um, it's free like all Glog games. Uh, Arnold K stuff is great, but the organization is horrific. <laughs> it's just a pile of PDFs and documents in a Google Google Drive folder. Um, and it's not hard to find. Just, it, it's right there on his uh, blog for you to to get to. But it's um, it's so chaotic and such uh, so hard to patch it together that the thing I've heard from many people who've written their own blogs is like they just got frustrated and said, I could do a better job of this, or at least I could organize it in a way that works better for me. And that's why they wrote their own version. And kind of the same thing applied to me. Um, I started with Skirples as my baseline just because I felt it was laid out better. But I believe his is like a roll under, very kind of tactical game. Um, but anyway, um, so this is adapted from uh, Skirple's uh, Condensed Magic Rules, which are the, themselves adapted from Arnold Case system. So spells are creatures. Angels, demons, spells, enchantments, kami, ghosts, and souls are all more or less the same. Most spells are about as intelligent as a ferret, but they grow and mature just like any living thing. An ancient mage's spells are often as crafty and subtle as their caster, though a spell's mind and goals are still alien. A wizard's spell book is a prison or a menagerie. Spells are locked inside, ready to be taken out and loaded into the wizard's brain. A well-trained brain is a mind gun, loading, loaded each morning with spell bullets. Minor spells, called cantrips, infest the wizard's soul and bind to it. You can imagine them as extra mutated limbs, appendages stuck to the soul and not the body. Spells themselves can be bred and trained. Wizards train in self-delusion, meditation, and other esoteric techniques to modify their own minds to make them more accommodating to spells, and to tap into the raw magic that suffuses the, wor the world. A wizard's mind is a dangerous place. For every ten students who start down the path of wizardry, only three emerge alive and sane. Uh, so that's the kind of fluff there, but spell casting. So to cast a spell, select a number of magic dice, MD, that you wish to invest. Roll them and add the numbers together. Magic dice are d6s. As a wizard, you get one magic dice per wizard template. Most spells depend on the number of dice invested and the sum that they show. If you roll doubles, you suffer a mishap, and if you roll triples, you suffer a doom. Dice that roll a 1 to 3 return to your casting pool and can be used again that day. Dice that roll 4 to 6 are removed from your casting pool for the rest of the day. Your spells return at sunrise to the last location they were in prison. When the octarine light of the sun touches the world and infuses creation with an extra boost of raw magic, your magic dice return if you get a good night's sleep. If you didn't sleep well, you can still make a save versus wisdom for each magic dice to have them return to your pool anyway. It takes one hour to move any number of spells between your brain and your spell book, a scroll, or a wand. 
Spell slots. Spell books, scrolls, wands, and staves are similar to a PC's item slots, or inventory, in that they represent the totality of a wizard's accumulated magical inventory. Spell slots are the equivalent of quick draw slots. Uh, so, oh, this is a new thing in 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 this version of uh, Glaive. So instead of just having inventory slots, you have, I think the first three are quick draw slots. So things that are on your belt, easy to get out quickly. And everything else takes an action and is in your backpack and may provoke an opportunity attack uh, if you go digging for them. Uh, so it just adds another little element of strategy and tactics to how you load your stuff. And spell slots are the equivalent of that. Um, they are the spells that the wizard has on deck and ready to go at a moment's notice. Spells cast from a wizard's mind can be recovered at the end of an encounter and cast again that day as long as the wizard still has magic dice. It takes one hour of crooning and yodeling to coax the spells back into the wizard's head. It can be done in conjuncture with a lunch. Uh, lunch is a new thing, too. Um, I wanted rations to be, have a point, um, so I've been testing this out with my current group since we started the point crawl. We introduced this new rule where uh, if you take an hour to stop and actually prepare a meal, so, so essentially the fifth edition short rest, uh, you can spend a ration and get back a, a straight 25% of your maximum hit points. I don't like rolling for healing because if you spend all that time and do that and you only get one HP back, I think that's kind of a raw deal. Um, so the wizard can be calling back his uh, spells into his quick slot, uh, into his spell slots while while resting for a lunch and whatnot. And of course, they got to roll for your random monsters and all that jazz. Your wandering monsters. Uh, spells cast from a spell book or scroll can be cast only once per day until the spell returns at dawn, dawn as described in spell casting. Uh, so that's another thing. The, the you can if you run if you blow all your spells from your spell slots and you still have magic dice. So if they keep rolling ones and threes and keep coming back to you, you can then pull out your book uh, and cast from that. Uh, though you have to remain stationary and you act last. And there's a I, I'll, I'll get to it here in a second. So spell books. Uh, a spell book contains ten spell slots and occupies one item slot in your inventory. A solid volume with thick vellum pages and a sturdy cover. Each school of magic produces its own style. Special runes and symbols trap spells inside cages of crystallized thought. Some spells must be stored across several pages for safety, so the book contains more than ten pages, and they have plenty of room for notes, ledgers, or sketches. Spell books start in a waterproof acid and fire-resistant bag. Outside the bag, they are not waterproof. They are flammable, and they are also valuable. Even an empty book is worth 100 gold pieces, plus 500 to 1,000 gold pieces per spell it may contain. I like the idea that people might be coming after you for your spell book. Although you might be going after other people for their spell books. Um, to make a copy of a spell book takes 1d6 days and costs 50 gold pieces per spell transferred. The time and cost reflect the fickle nature of working with sentient spells and the special materials needed to create the binding wards on the spellbook pages. Scrolls. Scrolls contain a single spell and three scrolls can fit in a single item slot. Effectively, a scroll is a page from a spellbook with some extra magic built in. Um, this is something that's kind of neat about scrolls. Scrolls also contain magic dice. So if you were paying attention, for every template, wizard template or spellcaster template, you get a magic die, which means you're only going to have four six-sided dice total uh, once you hit, once you max out at level four, um, which is not bad. Uh, you're, on average, each of those dice is going to cast two spells for you. So that, that's four, four spells going off. Um, 
you're either going to do four kind of moderately effective spells, you're going to do a, a smaller number of extremely effective spells on, on, on average, um, which is another thing I like about the magic dice. If you roll really high, you get amazing results, but you lose them for the day. And if you roll kind of low, you know, you're, 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 the results are less impressive, but you get that magic die back and you can try again next turn. So I, I really like that. But scrolls themselves also carry a magic die within them. Um, if you cast a spell from a scroll, it burns the scroll up and you add plus one magic die to your roll. This die does not return to your pool, no matter what. Um, you can generate mishaps and dooms while using a scroll. A blank scroll itself is worth 10 gold pieces. It takes 1d3 days to copy a spell to a scroll and the magic die needs to hold, uh, and the magic die needed to hold it there, as well as an additional 40 gold pieces in raw materials. So, 50 GP to do this. Uh, once used, the spell returns to the spell book from which it originated. So, if some other wizard copied a spell onto a scroll, um, it would return to their spell book, not yours. But if you put it on the scroll, it would return to your spell book. So, a smart wizard, if they can, are going to hang onto those scrolls, take them home, and copy them into their own scroll, their own spell books uh, before burning those scrolls. Um, Magic robes. Uh, the big hats and the fancy robes are not just for show. Magic robes also provide an additional plus one magic die to a wizard's casting pool. Once used, the magic die returns to the robes the next day at sunrise. Anyone can wear magic robes in lieu of armor, even the plus zero intelligence fighter, though they still can't cast a spell since they have not, memor- since they have not memorized one. Uh, that requires a spell slot. They could cast from a scroll, though. So even your non-magical users, if they've got a scroll... Uh, well, even if they don't have magic rose, if they've got a scroll, they could cast with that one die that's in there. Um, wands and staves. So wands can store up to four magic dice and one spell. So think of your magic wands as your 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 cowboy six shooters to go with the D&D is really a cowboy western and not a medieval European game. Wands can store up to four magic dice and one spell. Larger wands called staves can hold up to six magic dice and up to three spells. Wands are traditionally made from the wood of lightning-struck trees. Wands are customized for quick use, concealment, and rapid reuse. You spend a wand's magic dice when you cast a spell from up, but you can't combine your own magic dice with that of the wand. The wand's magic dice, once expended, do not return to your pool or the wand's pool. Using a wand can generate mishaps and dooms. When you move a spell to a wand, you may also invest one magic dice into the wand. You can only do this once per day, and you take d6 damage from this strain. So it will take you, if, you're, if your wand holds 4 MD, it will take you four days to fully load that thing up, and you will take 4d6 damage over the course of that day. Although, I, I like quick healing, so you get all your stuff back at the end of a good night's rest. The magic dice invested in the wand is held in the wand until it is used. Each day you could add an additional plus one to the wand as above. Magic dice move to a wand reduce your total from your own personal pool, but only for the day. Um, so this is a way that you can go into a dungeon with the maximum number of magic dice that you normally have in your casting pool, plus some extra banked in a scroll or a wand or your magic robes. Um, however, if uh, something kicks off in town while you're moving magic dice around uh, between things, uh, you might be find yourself in a, in a tough spot. Um, spells move to wands lived there until returned to the spell book or scroll that they came from. Uh, magic dice stored in a wand can be combined with a wizard's innate magic dice. Roll different colored dice to keep them sorted, and be wary of rolling up to 8 to 10 magic dice at once. Um, definitely great effects, but I'm sure bad things are going to happen also. 
Magic dice from a wand that is lost on a four to six does not return to the wand. A caster must go through the process of transferring, transferring their own personal magic MD to the wand all over again. Non-casters can use wands. If they suffer a mishap, use the appropriate school's table. If they suffer a doom, it is the third from the wand, and worst from the, school, the wand school, usually resulting in instant death. Identifying magic, wizards can sense magic, well, we all know how that works, so mishaps and dooms. If you roll doubles while casting a spell, roll on the mishap table for your school of magic, see your wizard subclass, and unless otherwise specified, the spell still works. Uh, magic is dangerous, this was a hiccup or a misfire. If you roll triples while casting a spell, one of your school's dooms takes effects, see your, school, your wizard subclass. Each school has three dooms, and they happen in sequential order. The third doom is invariably fatal or worse. All wizards walk a dangerous path. They burn their souls like candles, and in doing so, they court damnation. It is possible to seek solutions to a wizard's dooms, though. They are always unique quests. They are usually also pretty epic. So, that's kind of magic in a nutshell. You have some d6, you roll them. If you roll a 4, 5, or 6, you lose them. If you roll a 1, 2, or 3, you get them back. And the number of dice you, you apply to a spell determines how many folks it affects or how effective it is and the numbers that you roll on the dice the sum of the dice also affects how effective well, i'm using the same words over again here uh also impact how effective the spell is and i just i really like that it's a little more free form it's a little uh it's just not fancy and so i'm into it <laughs> um yeah so that's that um so i just kind of went through the process of, of rethinking glaive to work with these ideas um i implemented a couple of minor changes to the power structure of things um although the game is still essentially glaive is still essentially glaive even though it's a glog hack now uh, it's still the um the baseline randomly generated character you can apply the array of stats um just as in the first version of glaive or you can roll randomly for them so none of that has changed um, the only difference is that instead of, uh, aside from some tweaks here and there and some additional material, the only real difference is that you're not then picking talents, you are picking templates, and uh, the magic system works a little bit differently. Um, I'm curious to see how that's going to go, because I know like all of my, my players right at this point have some number of spell books and magical items and i think they like having that versatility and i like it too it's fun when the the arch the person who's always a, a, an archer says i'm going to cast this spell and they cast spells by shooting arrows at things that's just their little flavor thing and it just yeah, it's just fun and interesting um but huh so what else has changed well let me read through the base wizard here too so as i said there's always these these schools of wizardry um but all of all schools are based on the base wizard um so starting equipment, spell book, ink, quills, some schools may give additional materials. So with the A template, you get one magic die, you get one spell slot, and you start with two spells, and you get the spell casting ability. So uh, you gain one magic die, one spell slot for each wizard template that you possess, so a maximum of four each. Uh, when you first gain a wizard template, you must choose a school from the list on page 52. Templates not reproduced in this document can be found in the link below. You cannot change schools later. Uh, da, da, da. When you select template A, roll one d6 twice and gain the two spells listed. So each uh, each class here, uh, has, each wizard class has twelve spells. So it's not this massive book. It's just uh, or massive selection. It's just the twelve best 
and most iconic spells for that kind of wizard. Now, I cannot take any credit for most of this. Uh, Skirples uh, did all of this work, and I just adapted it to my own game in, in most cases. Uh, where noted, I, I, I've either given credit or taken it for myself. Um, and it's nice because it's, you're, you're, not, you're not faced with these overwhelming lists that just go on forever that you, they that might sound good but never come up in game or anything like that. And so the way it works is you, you roll 2d6, and so you're only going to get one of the first six, six uh, spells as a level one or as a, as a first template uh, character, right? Um, and, the, and the spells are organized in a way that kind of makes sense that way. They're, they're level-less, they're all level-less technically, but the early spells are the ones that you would associate with low-level wizards. Um, and so you generate two random uh, spells. I've been, I've been toying with this and maybe saying pick two spells, and if you do, if you want to be, be brave and randomly roll for spells, I'll let you roll for three spells. I'm, I'm not sure about that yet, though. Um, or I might just say roll for one and pick one. Eh, who knows? Uh, I don't know if I'll bother writing that into the rules. That might be just something I come up with based on the player, uh, on a person-by-person person basis. Anyway, uh, with the second template, the, the the B template for wizards, you get a second magic die, a, spec a second spell slot, and you get one more spell. But this time you roll a D8 and take whatever you get. Um, you also learn how to cast spells from your book, uh, and uh, you gain an ability called Flameproof. Uh, I'll read those to you. I think they're kind of interesting. Um, template C, a third magic die, a third spell slot, and now you're rolling a d10 and seeing what you get. And you also get a new ability called Friendly Spells. And with the fourth and final wizard template, you get your fourth and last magic die, you get your fourth and last uh, spell slot, and you get an ability called Master of Magic and Spell Breeding, and uh, you also get to pick, just pick, uh, a bunch of spells off your list. So let me read these here. Um, bah, 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 bah. So A, spell casting. A uh, bit of repeated text here about what spells are, how what spell books are, how spell casting works. Um, I, I, my wife edited the book for me, and I'm so grateful to her. Um, she's one of my players, and she's a great player. And we think about everything completely differently, and it's been wonderful. We've had <laughs> we've had quite a few fights. Uh, like there's been some like extremely tense moments, but it's been good um, because she does not process RPG material or anything the way I do, and vice versa. And uh, so oftentimes I've had to. Um, really struggle to rephrase things in the second version of Glaive in a way that made sense to her, a person who is essentially a casual player and does not have the the, the built-in RPG language skills that I do, uh, that we all do. Anyone listening to this is obviously uh, a role-playing nerd, so you also have and are unaware of your biases in most cases. Um, so she was incredibly great for that. So I'm, I feel I feel confident. That if you check out the, the this, this PDF, in fact, I'm going to put a link to this in uh, the show notes. I've been using a, a two-page spread version of it, so that's what I'm going to upload. It works really great on a screen as opposed to a single-page PDF. Uh, probably not so good on your phone, um, but you can always drop me a message, and if you want the, the single-page PDF version, uh, I will get you a link to that also. Uh, anyway, thanks, big thanks to uh, Mrs. Lonely Adventurer for, for helping me with that. Um, so spellcasting, essentially, yeah, the spellcasting ability is, is what we've already read here about how you keep your, 
magic dice back and all that stuff. So a template be book casting. So now you can cast spells from your spell book um, without loading it into your brain first in your spell slot. You must declare that you're doing this uh, before initiative for the round is rolled. You automatically go last in a fight and you automatically fumble the spell if you take any damage during the round. The spell vanishes from the book and returns the next morning after you cast it. Uh, and you also get an ability at your second template called Flameproof, uh, which allows you to cast magic spells from scrolls in a way that does not burn the scroll up. You also do not get the magic die that is embedded in the scroll, but you have that choice to either get the extra die and burn the scroll or to keep that spell uh, and not burn the, the scroll. Uh, the spell returns to the scroll the next day, and if you do not burn the spell for the MD, it returns to the spell. If you do burn the spell f to get that, that magic die out of it, uh, it returns to the spell book of origin from which it was uh, copied. Uh, with the C template, you get something called Friendly Spell, and you get to apply a random effect from the mutation table to a spell you frequently cast. So there's a mutation table uh, with 20 entries on it and a D20 uh, drawback table for spell breeding. And so you can take one, just one, in this case, you just apply one of the uh, beneficial mutations to a spell that you use a lot. So everyone's spells kind of get a little personalized and uh, you become unique to that wizard, which I think is a lot of fun. Uh, and at D template, the last template, you learn six spells from your school's spell list, or you get to invent an entirely new spell yourself with the GM. Um, and this is when your magic user is going to get, you know, I'll probably pick prismatic spray and fireball and all the good stuff at the end of the list. If you're, if you're building an orthodox classic wizard, uh, and you also get the ability to use uh, spell breeding. Although from what I've read, no one uses this ability, but I, I hope some of my players will. Uh, you can attempt to crossbreed and combine two spells into one new spell. And this is why no one does it, because it costs two spells to make one. Uh, both spells need to be stored in separate scrolls, and, and basically there's a whole process for creating a new spell out of, out of this uh, thing. So yeah, um, the, the different kinds of wizards. Uh, there's the animist wizard, uh, who's basically a witch. Uh, the biomancer, so kind of... Um, um, Cronenberger wizard, uh, the drowned wizards, uh, elementalists, elf wizards, uh, kind of the classic snooty elf thing, garden wizards uh, who hate elf wizards and vice versa, uh, illusionists, necromancers, the orthodox wizard, which is just your classic D&D uh, &D wizard, uh, wizards of the white hand, which is kind of a healer, which is very unique in Glog. There, most Glogs don't have clerics, and mine does not either. Um, we'll talk about that in a second. And then uh, the spider wizard is one I really like here, which is a weird outsider, and all of your stuff is spider-themed, which I could never use in my game because because one of my players is, uh, in a very real way, uh, just terrified, doesn't even like talking about spiders. I get very upset. <laughs> so yeah, so that, that's, that's magic. Those are the three big differences. Um, what's a lot of fun about it, uh, and if you start to do any research into uh, the, the, the many different uh, Glog classes, is just how um, it's a base-level, easy creativity entry-level process to create these characters you just take something that is the, the iconic bits and you only have to worry about coming up with four to eight good things you know some classes will get four things uh will get one thing per template some will get two things per template and there's no real you know there's no attempt to to uh balance it why bother um it's yeah it's not concerned with that right so uh, let's take a look at the fighter uh since that's the 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 measuring stick of all games, right? <laughs> so this is adapted from Skirple's work on coins and scrolls. Um, 
I believe, like I said earlier, his game I think is a role under system, and it's 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 pretty different from uh, Glaive. So I, I took the ideas and then rewrote them as Glaive ideas, basically. So starting equipment: leather armor, a bow, twenty arrows, and a sword. Um, with template A, they get the parry ability and one extra attack. Um, so you don't, uh, unlike fifth edition, you're not getting more martial classes. Don't get more attacks as they level. Um, or most classes uh, do, but if you're a fighter or some other, there are a couple of classes that will give you extra attacks as part of their template things because it's just one of those great iconic fighter things. So as a uh, fighter, you gain one extra hit point for every fighter template that you possess. So you're going to have an extra four hit points uh, more than anyone else, uh, which is not a huge amount, but this is a, a low power game. Keep that in mind. Um, you get the parry ability a, with the A template. So once per combat, you can force an opponent to make their attack roll with disadvantage. And you get something called, uh, and you get that extra attack. At template B, you get notches. I love this. So each time you attain a total of 10, 20, 30, and 50 kills with a weapon type, such as 10 kills with a dagger, you unlock a new ability for that weapon chosen from the list below. And it's up to the player to keep track of their kills and special abilities. And, uh... So you can either go for a plus one to damage, you can expand the critical hit range by plus one, uh, you can give it a special ability, which is something you would kind of uh, negotiate with the GM, and you can only do that once per weapon. So as an example, um, the ability to draw the weapon from any slot uh, or wield a two-handed, these are special abilities, example, sorry, the ability to draw a weapon from any slot in your inventory, uh, the ability to wield a two-handed weapon in one hand, gain a bonus to use the weapon as a tool, etc. Um, so here's an example of a fighter who has 50 kills with their flail. So they've earned four notches. They could have plus one to damage. They could expand their critical range twice to be 18 to 20 and the ability to stun an opponent for one round when they get a critical hit. Um, and uh, just the idea of just kind of making this really everything, uh, making even your mundane weapon kind of a signature piece or a thing that you fight with, just it, it's really, it's, it's just great core fighter stuff. Um, you also get with the B template, uh, Dirty Fighter, which gives you plus two on all combat maneuvers. Um, we're going to talk about combat maneuvers when I go through the, how the game works, but uh, which I think I'm going to do as a second episode. I know I've been talking for a while here, so we'll, we'll, we will do that as a second episode. But anyway, there's a thing called combat maneuvers in this version of Glaive, and uh, fighters get plus two on all of them because they're fighters. With template A, you get uh, Riposte, Riposte, I'm never sure how to say this word, uh, R-I-P-O-S-T-E. Once per round, when you are struck by an enemy, make an immediate counterattack in return, which is just one of the talents out of Glaive that I thought was awesome, so I put it here also. Um, let's see. This is also out of Glaive. Uh, with the C template, fighters get Savage Fighter, and they reroll damage results of three or less, uh, not including their ability bonus, but they must take the new roll. So if they roll a one, two, or a three, they're stuck with it, but they get the opportunity to uh, do better. With the fourth uh, template, template D, you get impress. Uh, whenever you win a fight against challenging foes, people who don't like you make a new re reaction roll with a plus four bonus on it. Uh, I love using the reaction table. Uh, this even works on people that you just defeated in combat unless you cause them undeserved or disproportionate harm. Hirelings, all of fighters' hirelings, get a plus two to morale and may re-roll a failed save versus fear because, of course, you feel safe uh, with the guy with the giant sword and the suit of armor. <laughs> and finally, you get an ability called Cleave. Uh, when you reduce, and this is also just a talent taken out of Glaive, uh, when you reduce a creature to zero HP with an attack, make it another attack. Make another attack. 
with the same weapon against a target within range of you. You can cleave a number of targets equal to your level in a single round. So if you're a level 5 character and you're surrounded by orcs, uh, if you keep killing them, you can, you can take out well, 6 if you're doing 5 cleaves. It's possible. Um, so there. Um, notes on the fighter. And these are more Skirples notes than my own, but I, I liked a lot of them, so I left them in. Uh, where appropriate. Uh, every adventurer can hold their own in a fight. Those who can't are already dead. But you have mastered the gruesome art of combat. You are professional and war is your craft. You are always eager to learn new tricks and techniques. Right from the start, fighters are one of the most stable and survivable classes. At first level, you have two attacks plus one HP and the ability to reduce incoming damage. That's pretty ridiculous, and the abilities only get more impressive from there. This, of course, is a trap. Uh, all the fighter's abilities are designed to trick you into fighting. People who fight die. Eventually, your fighter is going to pick their last fight. And I, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, and uh, then there's a D20 uh, table for generating a random background for your character. Uh, what else we got in here? We've got... Well, it's, I'll just... Without reading through all of their abilities, let's see what we got for classes here. We've got uh, the Amazon class, the Amazon of Joru, which you would think is just a barbarian, but it's kind of a... Um, I split the druid up. This this one is inspired by something I read on Goblin Punch, but it's my own class. Um, I decided that I don't like druids in D&D &D the way they work. Um, I think they're a little confused. Um, and the same thing with rangers, like they're trying to wear too many hats at once. Uh, and so this is the your kind of uh, sort of a barbarian with a large animal companion. Uh, and the key, I guess I am talking a little bit about this, but uh, the Amazons, uh, they get a, uh, one of their abilities is called the big fucking cat. Um, and you get a big fucking cat. And each template, it gets bigger and bigger uh, until you've basically got uh, He-Man's battle cat uh, or, or the, the liar cat from... Uh, um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the, uh, the graphic novel's name now. <laughs> eh, nuts. <laughs> it's the one that's basically Romeo and Juliet and set to sci-fi. Eh, anyway, yeah, so you have a big animal companion. Um, the Barbarian, straight up Barbarian. This is, everyone's familiar with this. The four templates give you range, rage, danger sense, uh, weird herbs. Oh yeah, there's a lot of cooking stuff in all of, uh, all of these. The Amazon has an ability called Amazon Cuisine. The Barbarian has weird herbs. Uh, so there's no heal, there's no healing magic, which again, I'm going to get into detail next episode. Uh, but, uh, so food takes the place of that. And I really have been encouraging my players to eat everything they kill in the dungeon. Um, so I found a great, uh, what first edition monster manual uh cookbook which i think scruples wrote actually yeah um and it just kind of has it's just a lot of fun like you know what can can you eat a beholder what happens if you eat a, a gelatinous cube <laughs> um, what parts can you harvest to make money off of um so anyway yeah uh barbarian we've got my version of the druid which is more of a, a princess mononoke uh style uh savage basic savage fighter kind of half feral nut job um not your uh protect the forest and keep the balance between civilization and nature stuff which i always feel is just like very milk toast and don't like it uh the fighter the hunter who is is, is your your ranger essentially but it's your aragorn the ranger it's not your dritz at all um it's your wilderness survival nut uh the thief um which was uh, adapted from a, a great uh blog called uh, two goblins in a trench coat and uh, the thief i think is my favorite one of my favorite in here it's my favorite that i didn't write anyway <laughs> um it's just like the perfect class for a brand new player to learn how the glog works and to get a feel for old school games um 
all of your abilities are great. You know what? I am going to get into this. I know this is probably running long. I can't see the timer, but I don't care. It's been a long time since I podcasted. Uh, if, if this is too long, just stop now and, and listen to the rest of this tomorrow. And it'll feel like you got two episodes, right? Um, so a thief begins with a leather armor or a gambeson, lock picks, and a dagger. Uh, at level, at, with the first template, template A, they get two abilities. The first is called Always Prepared. Um, Oh, they also have uh, they also get advantage on dexterity saves to move silently and unseen, but only when they are alone or working with other thieves. Um, ability A with or ability that comes with template A, uh, always prepared in town. You may spend twenty gold pieces or items of equivalent value to buy an unlabeled package. Uh, when the package is unwrapped in play, you declare what it contains as long as the contents comprise the appropriate number of item slots and are available in town. Small items that can be bundled together, for example, three oil flasks, will be of a quantity sufficient to fill the inventory slot, so you'll have three flasks. Uh, you can have up to two unlabeled packages at a time. This is a little bit like the dungeon world uh, conceit of you just have inventory or you just have uh, a bag full of healing stuff, um, which is normally not a thing I like, but if any character class is going to have an ability like that, it's going to be the thief. I was like, of course I have a crowbar. It's here in my bag because I'm a thief <laughs> and this is what I do. I'm ready for this kind of stuff. Uh, it's kind of the ultimate uh, dungeon crawler. Uh, and the second ability they get is called wall crawler. So wall crawler is permission to, uh, is a permission slip to get almost anywhere that a thief would like to get. Um, you climb just as well without climbing gear as you do with it. And if a climb is possible using gear, you don't even need to make a roll, even if you're free climbing. Uh, if the climb would be impossible, you can still make a skill check to attempt it anyway. Um, and so far with my kids who have been running through that little, the little one shot I, I mentioned several days ago at the beginning of this uh, podcast, um, there's been a thief in every group, I think. Uh, maybe one group didn't. So two of the three groups have had thieves and those players have used these two, this, uh, neither of them started with enough cash to do the always prepared, but they, they have used wall crawler to great effect to explore and, and, and recon and, and scout things out and, and help the team make, uh, you know, conniving little plans and whatnot. Uh, it's been great. Uh, and then after that, um, there's a, a d20 table of thief abilities and each level each template after that you pick one and then you roll one randomly and then you pick one and you roll one randomly um so if you want to build an assassin type you can um and if you want to build more of a thief you can you know you you, you can you can direct the thief's development in the direction you want to go and then there's a d12 background table for them uh paladins uh normally i'm not a fan of paladin but this paladin i really love we'll read this at some other point um it's just really kind of weird. And then I started packing in kind of the stranger uh, character classes that I found around the internet that I thought were a lot of fun. Great for one-shots. Don't think they'd be so great for a long-term campaign. But you can play a really good dog if you wish. <laughs> and the dog has four templates and it can do all kinds of fun stuff. Um, uh, Keegan uh, Monk. Uh, I guess it shouldn't be in the really weird uh, section. In fact, this is kind of the standard... Uh, um, it's a muscle wizard is what it is. It's a physical wizard. Um, and this is your wushu monk uh, stuff. Kind, kind of like the D&D monk, but I feel like it's it's executed way better than any version of the, of the official D&D monks I've ever seen. Um, 
a lot of kung fu techniques involved and just really cool, but also sort of spell-like effects that are a lot of fun. Uh, you can play a mimic if you wish. Um, I had one of my students play a mimic, but she just, I, I let her, because it was a one-shot, I let her break the rules. And instead of being able to disguise herself as a, uh, a stationary, you know, a barrel or an anvil or something like that, I let her disguise herself as a dog. Um, and neither one of us told the other players what this character was and they'd all flip through the, the the pdf so they assumed she'd rolled up a really good dog um but then she would do weird mimic things like peel her own face back and pull a you know and, and hack up a crowbar to, to break a lock or something like that and she'd speak occasionally and it was very in a very disconcerting voice and it was uh, really great uh the cannibal gourmet uh the surly gnome as a character class of great ghouls which you wouldn't think is a, play, a great player class and they're very powerful but they're also very challenging and just yeah some great stuff uh, goblin, you can play a goblin. You can also play a swarm of goblins, the many goblins. And then we get into all the wizards and stuff. Okay, so I feel like that's a lot of rambling. So um, I'm going to stop this here, but I'll just start recording a second uh, episode right now and release them both this week. Uh, thanks to the guys for uh, pinging me on the Discord, uh, on the Audio Dungeon Discord today, and uh, peer pressuring me. Well, peer pressuring making me care enough to sit down and podcast again. I appreciate you guys. Um, We'll talk to you all soon.